third walk-on PFF's college football show. I'm your host, Max Chadwick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman. We just put out our mid-season All-American team, so you guys can go check that out if you want. Now, Dalton, we've got a loaded week seven of college football, man. This is the fourth straight weekend with at least four games between ranked opponents. If you go by my personal top 25, there's five games between ranked opponents. So we're going to talk about all five of those games, a preview them, man. And listen, we are in college football heaven right now, Dalton. Oh, we sure are. The madness began last week. And honestly, at the midpoint, this is the time, you know, I'd say it kicked off with that Texas-Oklahoma game. The playoff race has unofficially started. You've got huge games with huge playoff implications every single week. Undefeated teams are going to start going down, you know, whether it's a matter of circumstance or upsets or, or what have you. This is uh, this is a week that's going to have huge, huge consequences come the end of the season. And no game has bigger consequences probably than Oregon and Washington. Number eight, Oregon traveling to number seven, Washington matchup between two top 10 teams on 330 on ABC. Really, the storyline here is who's going to be the team to beat in the Pac-12 right now. It is a loaded conference. Seven of the 12 members in the Pac-12 are currently in the top 20 of the AP poll. That's three more than any other conference uh, in college football right now. And those two highest ranked teams are the ones that we're talking about right now in, in Oregon and Washington. And the winner of this game is the front runner to win the conference and also secure the first college football playoff berth for the Pac-12 since 2016. Also the final probably college football playoff berth for the Pac-12. But Don, what are you looking forward to most in this massive top 10 showdown? Um, man, where do we start? Uh, this, this is the most fun tape watch I've had all year yeah. going back and watching last year's game. These two teams are so evenly matched. They both do everything. They're the top two teams in the country in total offense. They're second and third in points per game. Washington leads the nation in passing yards per game by 80 yards, which, which I, I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> Oregon leads the nation with 7.1 yards per carry. They're, you know, you've got two teams with elite, elite offenses. They're two of the three best pass-protecting teams in the country. Michael Penix might be on his way to a Heisman Trophy. It's just so stacked, right? And and we're, we're going to break down all these details. But you, you don't have another game all year in the regular season with two teams so evenly matched. Um it's it's gonna be a wild ride like it was last year last year's game was just off the charts um and this year the stakes are even higher you've got we'll, we'll break it down but you've got two teams that are so evenly matched and and they were last year and they are again this year that it's it's gonna be tough for anybody to really predict who's gonna win this game yeah, absolutely. You mentioned all those offensive metrics. Uh, the one I love using the most is EPA per play, expected points added per play, which basically is the best measure of efficiency. And you see right there, Oregon, number one in the country in EPA per play. Washington, number three in the country in EPA per play, right behind LSU. And USC trails them both right now in a metric that USC always dominates in. So like you mentioned, man, these are two of the most efficient offenses in college football. Washington, like you said, is mainly because of that passing game uh, where Michael Penn Jr., highest-graded quarterback in the country. He's our midseason first-team All-American quarterback, if you want to check that out as well. Um, also, they have the best receiving grade in the country so far this season as well. Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, uh, Jalen McMillan as well. They have a, an electric receiving core. And then you mentioned the other side, Oregon, 
they can air it out with Bo Nix and that talented group of receivers. But like you said, that offensive lineman is dominant, and they have a 93.3 rushing grade as a team. That is second in the country. Um, and yeah, man, they are averaging over seven yards per carry as well. So it's going to be an uphill battle for both defenses. Uh, I do think Oregon has a better defense than Washington. Right now, Oregon is 13th in the country in EPA per play. Washington is 68th, so right around average in terms of the national landscape, while Oregon is top 15, man. But, yeah, it's going to be an uphill battle, and it should be another shootout like we saw last year. Absolutely. Um, you, you've got such a contrast in styles, right? And last year, the difference was Penix. He was the best yeah. player on the field, a 91.6 passing grade. If you want a clinic on what a future NFL quarterback looks like, you put on Washington's tape against Oregon last year. He made every throw in the book. Hole shots, deep posts, tight curls into zone windows, rolling comebacks. I, I, I mean, everything. Every throw in the book was was made in that game by Penix. And, and in the second half, Washington only ran for 30-something yards. They started the game off with some balance, and then Oregon started to shut it down. Penix put him on his back. It, it was just it, when you – I hadn't seen the all 22 of it until this week. When you throw that tape on, you that one you look at Penix and you go, wow, that's a first-round pick. Yeah. It, it, it's just unbelievable into every coverage, too. It's not like Oregon was running the same coverage all night. I mean, two, four, three, occasionally, man, just – everything he did everything in that game you could ask of a quarterback and honestly a lot of things in that game for Oregon went right they ran for over 300 yards they you know they got an interception down on the goal line it was Penix's one bad throw of the night they really a lot went right for Oregon and they were at home and they still managed to lose the game now on Oregon's side you know, Washington's going to be looking at, we, we can't give up 312 yards again on the ground. Yeah. Any any defensive coordinator goes, if we're giving up 300 plus on the ground, we, we should and probably will lose, right? So the one question I have really for Oregon is not the running game because the, the, the funky part with it is that when you watch their running game last year and even this year, they're not like a big mauling offensive line mm -hmm. right like they're really sound and we've talked about them in pass protection but i don't think we've gone into the run game at all with oregon yet they're not like this big mauling run you over offensive line like oregon state or you know at times like michigan right something like that like physically dominating there was a huge element of last year's game i think where washington can get better against oregon's run game their linebackers especially just couldn't see I, it looked like they couldn't see they they you know Oregon would run counter and they they were just constantly late it, yeah. it was it, it wasn't that they got mauled physically up front the coaches are going to sit there and tell especially their linebackers look you have to you have to go like you when it's time when you see a read you need to go and then there's other times where they're just shooting gaps way before they should you know part of playing linebacker especially is patience it's not about just sheer aggression and shooting a gap and like getting on the line of scrimmage as fast as you can. You have to be patient on your toes and, and really wait and see it and then explode. Right. And they just didn't do that at all. And then late in the game, they didn't help them at all because all of a sudden they started calling a whole bunch of stunts and Oregon 
once they saw that, just started running directly at them. And when you run stunts and you have a team that's running basic things right downhill at you, then you just have issues schematically. So Mm -hmm. Washington, there was a ton of mental mistakes in the run game. Now, Bucky Irving was great. I think he had close to 150 yards and forced 13 missed tackles. Don't get me wrong. Bucky was great. But they didn't get, like, manhandled up front, giving up that 300 yards. There was a ton of mental mistakes. There's a lot of room for improvement for Washington's run defense in this game, which now brings me to Bo Nix. And Bo Nix is very good. Yeah, Not a question at all. Bo Nix on the traditional stats is in the Heisman race, especially if he wins this game. Okay, I have one big issue with Bo Nix. He's an elite, elite play action passer Mm -hmm. absolutely and it fits that it fits what they do perfectly because they have an elite elite run game right it's a non-play action passer since the start of last year okay passing grade of 77.8 wow as as compared to a play action grade of 87.5 right and in last year's game okay with play action was at a 90 and without it at a 65.7 the, the difference, when you play Oregon, this sounds funny because, you know, a lot of people go, well, Bo Nix is one of the six or eight best QBs in the country, and he might be a first-rounder and this and that. And the other. If you make Bo Nix, if you put him in situations where he just has to drop back and everyone in the stadium knows he's throwing, it's not elite. It's decent, but it's not, like, the best thing you could ask for. Honestly, even last year, that play, that non Play action grade could have been a lot lower, but for one touchdown throw, one, I think it was a 40 yard throw to the post, something, something like that. He really only made one big throw outside of play action. It, it's funny to think, but Oregon tried to win this game last year, hiding Bo Nix, which sounds funny because he threw for 280 and two touchdowns, right? They tried to hide him. Mm-hmm. And in, in huge games like this, if you have to hide your quarterback, you still have a problem. This this is a game, I think, about Bo Nix. You want to be a first round pick or a third round pick? Yeah. This is this is the this is the week because it's it might be just college football's best kept secret. I, I don't know, but Bo Nix has just a pure drop. Like Michael Panix can just drop back, and you saw it even last week against Arizona. Everybody thinks they were horrible against Arizona. No, they just when they got in the red zone, they ran the ball instead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Arizona was dropping eight for three quarters of that game, and he was still dropping dimes into it. Okay, he didn't throw a touchdown, but he still threw for I think three sixty or three eighty. Knicks doesn't do that. Like if Washington gets ahead in this game, and Knicks has to start dropping back throwing, that's when I start to get worried. If I'm Oregon, they can't win this game if they continue to hide Knicks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think an important thing to note about that Washington Oregon game last year. Nix went down in that game with a right leg injury, and he played the rest of the game, but you could see he was clearly hobbled, man. And this is a guy who's a really good runner of the football as well, and he, he couldn't do that with that right leg injury. And, you know, they only lost by three points. You can make a strong argument to be made that, you know, Oregon might have won that game if Nix doesn't get hurt with that right leg injury. Don, I got to ask you, man. I mean, listen, I, I locked myself in a dark room for, like, hours trying to pick a winner of this game, man, because it is impossible. Who are you going with, and who are you saying is the new favorite in the Pac-12? I did the same. This was hard. This is this yeah. is, was maybe the hard maybe the hardest game of the year to pick right. at least so far. You know, as we in any game really. I, I I this took a long long time because you you've got look these two teams are so even mm-hmm. they are. I, I mean, look, half of us are going to be right and half of us are going to be wrong. This is just the way it is. I, I think 
I trust Penix more than Knicks. Okay. Last year, like I said, there was a lot in last year's game that went right for Oregon, right? I don't believe they turned the ball over. They ran for over 300 yards. They were at home, okay? And yet, Penix came away as the best player on the field. You know, Washington scored on seven. They, I mean, they held Washington. Washington only had the ball nine times last season. That's the other thing, too. Oregon won the time of possession by nine minutes, and Washington only had nine drives, and they scored on seven of them. They punted. They went three and out once on a drive that started at their own one-yard line. And the ninth drive was Washington driving all the way down the field and Penix throwing a pick on the goal line. They should have scored on eight of their nine drives last year. So Oregon's defense, their secondary has to be a lot better. Yeah. The problem is this is, a, this is a coverage unit if you include the linebackers. Now, without Christian Gonzalez, without Noah Sewell in the middle. So we've talked about they're really good across the board. They're fundamentally sound. Last year, they only missed, you know, one thing that jumped out at me with Oregon's secondary last year, no no yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, two, there was two deep balls where they finished the touchdown or whatever. But, like, underneath, Oregon only missed four tackles in the entire game last year, whereas Washington missed 19. 13 of them on Bucky Irving alone. So, look, Oregon has its advantages in this game. They need the run game to be similarly spectacular because look to beat Washington it's going to be required to put up at least 38 40 points yeah anybody doesn't matter who Oregon USC whoever whoever Washington State whoever plays them you're you're gonna have to like tell your offense hey we need 40 they're that good okay I it's this game this one's in Washington I think Washington has a ton of things they can take away from last year's game especially in run defense, that they can improve on. And if Oregon's going to win this game, I really think this is this is Bo Nix's – this is the moment of Bo Nix's career. It is. I know what Penix I, – I, at least I feel like, unless something crazy happens, I know what Penix is going to do. Mm-hmm. He's – right now, we call them – if we can argue about with Caleb Williams if he's the best. He's the most efficient yeah. quarterback in the country that's not a question to me and he can beat any coverage at any time and if i'm oregon i think i do something similar to arizona last week and and drop eight and sit back mm-hmm. just i wouldn't bother don't blitz him don't go don't just sit back and hope that he doesn't kill absolutely kill you like he did last year i'm gonna take washington this game is still gonna be high flying um for sure i'm gonna say 45 to 38 washington and i just have I just have more trust in Penix than Knicks if this becomes a quarterback-centric game. That's not to say Oregon. Oregon is Oregon. Mm-hmm. They they are what they are. If you let them run the ball and get to their action and do their stuff, they're going to be really, really good. But I think Washington actually didn't even play their best game last year and still won the game, and I like them even better this year. That's a fair point. I, I think, you know, what you said is fair about Oregon. You know, everything went right for them in that game last year. But I want to bring the one thing that didn't go right was that Bo Nix went down with an injury. And that is why I'm picking Oregon in this game. The road team I'm picking 35-34. I think also the, the other big thing that I really lean me towards Oregon's side I think Oregon's defense is a lot better than Washington's defense right now. I mean, you saw what Oregon did to Colorado. Now, Colorado has its issues for sure. 
But Oregon only allowed six points in that game. That came late in the game as well. Dan Lanning dialed it up. Um, they are a very, very well-coached team defensively. Dan Lanning, obviously the head coach, comes from a defensive background. They, Like I said, they're top 15 in the country right now in EPA per play. Washington is 68th, man. So I think Oregon, with the run game, with the elite offensive line, with Bo Nix, who, who can make throws when you need him to on play action, like you said, I'm taking Oregon in this game, and really it just comes down to I think Oregon defensively will make just enough stops. But then again, I'm picking Oregon by one point, so it's not like I'm very confident in the Ducks winning this game. But I do think it, it for Washington, it really just is Michael Penix Jr. If he is Man, if you're on fire, they're probably going to win the game. But if Oregon has so many ways they can win the game, in my opinion, with the run game, with the offensive line you know, holding up really well, with Bo Nix making throws when he needs to, that receiving core is really good as well. They have many more opportunities to win the game in different ways, whereas Washington really is Penix and those receivers just getting open and, and making plays. So I'm picking Oregon in a close one. We both disagree on this one, man. But, yeah, it's going to be ultra, ultra tight. I think it'll be one of the best games of the year, just like it was last season. Now, we mentioned that the that the winner of that game will be the favorite in the Pac-12. Well, this team is still very much in the thick of it, man. Number 10 USC travels to number 21 Notre Dame, which is at 7.30 p.m. on NBC. My storyline, Dalton, in this game is, will USC finally get burned or can it take advantage of a weary Notre Dame team? Because so far this season, USC went to triple overtime with Arizona, who's the number 81 team in our power rankings. The, the week before that, they were outscored 27-14 to 14 in the second half by Colorado and narrowly escaped with a seven-point win. We, we showed you guys the graphic before of the EPA per play. The offense is still elite. The defense is 80th in the country in EPA per play. This week... USC has by far its toughest test of the season on the road against Notre Dame. But luckily for the Trojans, the Fighting Irish are burning the candle at both ends right now, man. This schedule for Notre Dame is brutal. You see right there, fourth straight week playing a night game against a top 25 opponent. They lost to number six Ohio State a few weeks ago. They beat number 17 Duke a couple weeks ago, and they lost to number 25 Louisville this past Saturday. They're also one of four FBS schools that's already played seven games so far this season. We mentioned our midseason All-American uh, team already, Dalton. That you know The midseason for college football is six games. Well, after this Saturday, you can make a – two-thirds of the season team for Notre Dame because they're already playing two-thirds of their season, man. So right now, Notre Dame is is reeling right now, man. And I, I do not – I have a lot of sympathy for the Fighting Irish for what that schedule – they already they played in Ireland in week zero as well. So, I mean, they went overseas for a game. Brutal schedule for, for Notre Dame. And USC now has to prove that, hey, we are still an elite team. And, you know, right now they're kind of on the downswing right now with all the close games they're playing. Yeah, I think you hit on the two big storylines. Whoever made Notre Dame's schedule this year uh, might need to be reassigned because <laughs> this this is just nuts. And I know at Louisville and even at Duke weren't supposed to be like big ranked games, big time tight games or games that you could lose. But in between Ohio State and USC, yeah. two ACC teams on the road, even if they weren't both in the top 20, is still that's two road games in between two elite teams. I'm not really sure. I mean, Notre Dame is in prime time every week. And, and look, by about, I would say, midway through the third quarter, they were just gassed. Yeah. They And 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 I think, uh, to be honest with you, with, say, if they were both off bye weeks and whatever, 
I still think Notre Dame, if they were to play Louisville again, would beat them. Yeah. Given you know not playing nine games in a row and all at night and all in the spotlight and all that stuff, so I think on like a neutral field in neutral conditions, I think Notre Dame would still beat Louisville. But it's not. It's not like that. Yeah. Right. It's in. It's in Louisville. One team is charged up. It's their biggest game in probably what ten years since Teddy Bridgewater. I, I don't know something like that. Yeah. And Notre Dame coming off an absolute war with Ohio State and an absolute war with Duke, they looked just tired. Yeah. And to be honest with you, if you're tired coming off three big games that charged up all that stuff and so much emotion, and now you have to play Caleb Williams, that's an <laughs> issue. Now, the other thing you touched on is how flawed USC is. And, right. and I think this is starting to trickle into a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. Now, look, we I alluded to this on Monday for a minute. Caleb Williams, the traditional stats are great. They're going to be great. They're going to put him in the, in the, they're going to send him to New, York, to New York as a Heisman finalist, right? He's starting to press. Yeah. He's starting, he's starting to understand, and I don't think it's a good thing, what he has to do to overcome the rest of the flaws, especially of his defense, right? I, you know, I talked about last year, he was the best quarterback in the country under pressure. Mm-hmm. This year, his passing grade under pressure is a 32.1, wow. which is like, yeah, it's among qualified quarterbacks. It's like 155-ish qualified quarterbacks. He's in like the bottom 20. Wasn't he like group. wasn't he like 85 plus last year? Wasn't he like close to like, I think I, I believe it was 85.5. Yeah. Wow. Uh, dude. He was That's number one difference. last year under pressure. Number one. And now he's literally I have him it's a hundred ranked 137th. <laughs> That's so 50 it, points. It's, it's man. a pressing. It's a pressing thing, right? It's holding the ball too long, fumbling. Tight window throws late right now. This is, um, I'll tell you what, it's funny to compare him to Patrick Mahomes Mm -hmm. because he even has the same flaw. I I guess you'd call it a flaw if you call anything Mahomes does a flaw. Is you sit back, don't blitz him. The first thing, don't blitz him. Don't think you're because he's bad under pressure that you're going to go get him. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Well, against the blitz he's elite if you give him more windows that he can see or you just give him break the pocket and run don't blitz him you send four and you sit back and you just wait for him to do something this is this is just the way it's it you have to play him the same way you play Mahomes. it's it, there i it's scary how similar they are because in a clean pocket he's the third best quarterback in the country still i, I think it's Penix, and i almost want to say tyler van dyke mm-hmm. it's but he's starting to press. The last three weeks, 70.6 passing grade, two big-time throws, seven turnover-worthy plays. This is not on the whole, like, under the hood, okay, this is a guy who's pressing. Yeah. Because he has to overcome the flaws of the rest of his team, right? Now, Notre Dame, like I just said, don't blitz him. Fifth most blitzes in the Power Five so far this year. Now they've played an extra game more than everybody else. Just don't. Just don't. You you need to sit back, let your two big defensive tackles bother him. Caleb's gonna break the pocket. Don't let him run for too much. Just wait and see. It, it's it's this is how you have to play it. Wait and see what he does. Because he he you can tell late in the play, he's trying to make magic happen instead of making the safe play, the winning play. And the problem is is it is that the thing that's starting to make these games tight? Like the Colorado game, like the Arizona game. Or does he have to do those things to just nudge them over the line for a win? It's 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 they're riding a really fine line right now, 
with how bad their defense is and what they need to do offensively. Because, I mean, I, their defense, I mean, they're playing Arizona last week to give up 215 rush yards. You just That's Arizona. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're going you're gonna to play Oregon, the, arguably the best running team in the country. Washington has some balance. I know they're known for Pennix in the passing game. They have some balance. I don't know if they play Oregon State, but that would be a matchup problem if they play Oregon. UCLA wants to run the ball like crazy. That's the base of their right. So this this is a problem. What they have going on right now, their defense right now is struggling so much that it's forcing Williams to play not out of his comfort zone, but out of like out of line with sometimes what wins you ball games. Yeah. Dude, his so he, his nickname is Superman, and it seems like he's trying to live up to that on every single play he's out there, man. He literally is swinging for the fences every time. Now, luckily for USC, he's basically the Aaron Judge of college football, where when he swings for the fences, there's a good chance he's going to hit a home run. But there's a lot of times, like, and this is the detriment of Aaron Judge, too, where you swing for the fences and you strike out. And like you mentioned, man, that the turnover-worthy plays are up. So he is getting lucky in terms of, you know, those turnover-worthy plays not translating the interception so far. But like you said, this is why PFF grades and PFF metrics are so valuable because you look at the raw stats, you see him leading the country in touchdown passes, and I think well, he's still only one pick on the season. And you say, oh, he's, he's still fantastic. He's even better than he was last year. He's not better than he was last year. He's, like you said, he's pressing right now. My big matchup, and you touched on it a little bit, uh, Dawn, is Notre Dame's run game against USC's run defense. You mentioned how the game plan for Notre Dame on defense should be just drop and, you know, play Caleb Williams that way. The game plan for USC is simple, man. Make this a game between Caleb Williams and Sam Hartman. That's the game plan for USC because over the over the first four games of the season for Notre Dame against the unranked teams, against the easy opponents, the cupcake opponents, Sam Hartman earned a 86.9 passing grade, 16th among Power 5 quarterbacks. In the last three games against those ranked opponents, Ohio State, Duke, and Louisville, he has a 62 passing grade that is 40th among Power 5 quarterbacks. He went from a guy that Notre Dame fans were touting as a Heisman candidate, the best quarterback the program's had since Brady Quinn, maybe. Now, all of a sudden, he's fallen off, man, in the last three weeks. And, of course, tough competition, granted, but still, it is alarming how bad he's been. And, you know, if he's forced to go throw for throw with Caleb Williams, that is not a battle that Notre Dame is going to win. But luckily for the Fighting Irish, their biggest strength on offense matches up with USC's biggest weakness on defense. Audric Estime, you see the guy right there. He was our midseason first-team All-American running back. Uh, he leads all FBS running backs with an 89 grade. He also leads all Power 5 running backs with 38 forced missed tackles. USC's defense has the fourth most missed tackles in the Power 5 this season with 79. Also has the fourth worst average depth of tackle in run defense at about 5.3 yards. So Notre Dame offensively the game plan should be ride number seven, man. They didn't do it against Louisville. He actually, I think he only had uh, not that many carries against Louisville. I'll find the exact number in a second, but 10, I believe it was 10, 10. Like they barely relied on him. Now, of course he didn't really, uh, 
you know, he, he wasn't playing. Like he had five carries for, or excuse me, Love had five carries for 37 yards. Audrey Estime had 10 carries for 20 yards. He was averaging two yards per carry. But still, man, they I think they abandoned the run a little bit too quickly against Louisville. They can't do that against USC. That is the bread and butter of this offense, and you have to rely on Audrey Estime against USC. Because like I said, if, if it becomes a game between Caleb Williams and Sam Hartman, that is not a game that Notre Dame can win. But ultimately, Dalton, who are you going with in this massive game in South Bend? This this was a hard one. This is the hardest game of the week for me. Wow. Um, I, I think Notre Dame obviously is tired, and it showed in the second half against Louisville. USC is riding the tightrope, man. I mean, but if you're going to ride the tightrope, you might as well ride it with Caleb Williams. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the more I thought about this, look – the USC, even if you're going to beat them, right? What what is what's the minimum number of points they're going to score any given week against really anybody? Even like an elite, like even if they were playing Michigan or Ohio State or somebody, what's the least number of points that they would score in a week? You think probably like at least twenty seven, at least probably. Okay, so let's say twenty seven is like as absolutely awful a football game as they could play, or they only had the ball for like eighteen minutes or something mm-hmm. like that, right? So let's assume let's 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 say that's bare minimum. Let's say they'll probably be better than that, and, and let, let's just assume they'll get to thirty-five just because yeah. against anybody, right? And Notre Dame's defense is good, right? But USC is probably still getting to thirty-five, even against USC. And the way because what would we think of Sam Hartman right now if it wasn't for that fourth and sixteen run against Duke? Yeah, that's true. Uh, because other than that run. Over the last three weeks, I got nothing. Yeah, they'd have three straight I, losses I, I, right now. They, they're look, their leading wide receiver Mitchell Evans is their best pass catcher right now. Mm-hmm. I think Tyree is their leading wide receiver. He has fifteen catches. They just don't. Their wide receiving core. I, I, this Notre Dame team came in with a lot of hype, assuming that Hartman was the guy to come in and elevate him. And week to week, especially in these big games, he's looking more like that system guy at Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to say that, you know, he's, he's obviously he's a good dude. He's a competitor, but it's, it's not, he's not, does he, he doesn't look any different than any other Notre Dame quarterback we've seen over the last decade. Uh, it, it's, it, it's just not, they're not explosive and you're facing the most explosive team in the country. Notre Dame is going to have to find a way to, to th- there's one way. Run the ball like crazy. Get Estime untracked, right? And he's got to have a buck 80, 200, maybe more. Estime's got to play the game of his life. Yeah. Their offensive line, other than Joe Alt, is kind of mediocre. It, yeah. it's, it hasn't been. Joe Alt's the best tackle in the country, and the nobody else on their line grades above 71. So it's not this dominating offensive line like we thought it was. I, I think we've seen this now against better teams. Look, Ohio State's tough. We figured they would have a tough time against Ohio State. That might be the best front seven in the country. But Duke, for most of that game, was the more physical team. Last year, or last week, excuse me, I didn't think Louisville was going to come out and out physical Notre Dame. And I know Notre Dame was gassed, but they did straight up. You, you, you have. One of the three best backs in the country. And he had 10 carries for 20 yards. They got out physical by Louisville. Now, they probably won't get out physical by USC, but they need to be better across the board. This looks, this is starting to look like 
the same old Notre Dame team we've seen from the past decade. Good defense, pretty good line with one NFL tackle, maybe two, but certainly a top 10 tackle. Run game, but they're just not explosive. Mitchell Evans at times is their offense. Yeah. And he's not like fast. He's a guy, you know, he's he's like a kind of a classic tight end, kind of a two-way guy. Like he's he's good, but he's not fast. He's not explosive. Like, and they just don't get Tyree and some of these guys the ball in space. And even down the field, Hartman's just not hitting him. He's got 10 turnover-worthy plays the last three weeks. And and or sorry, against the power five, he's got 10 turnover-worthy plays. I think that's four games and completing only 58%. They I actually I, I went into this thinking I might pick Notre Dame, and I'm not going to do it. I, I think I'm going to go USC 35, Notre Dame 24. I, I just don't think Notre Dame, in all likelihood, functions offensively on a high enough level to keep up with with this. What I mean, do we really? Because the last three weeks, Notre Dame has scored, I believe it's uh, 17, 17, and 13 last week. Somewhere around there, it's twenty seventeen and thirteen. Yeah, twenty no twenty fourteen or twenty twenty one and fourteen. Can we? What part of Notre Dame? Uh, what about Notre Dame? Is it that we can expect them to win a game in the thirties or maybe even the forties? I have no evidence that they can score like that. Yeah, and and so I I think USC, I think they hold off the warts. For one more week, I, I I just I have a feeling we're just not going to see that until we get to, I don't know if they play Washington State, but until until they get to those other two big teams that we just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, USC has Utah uh, coming up after this Notre Dame game, and then they have California, Cal, and then they got Washington, Oregon, and UCLA back to back to back uh, to close out the season. So yeah, that'll be tough. But yeah, man, for the second. Uh, time we're gonna pick the underdog i'm picking the underdog as well i'm picking usc 34 31 i i think usc's run game we didn't even mention marshawn lloyd has been fantastic now notre dame has a good run defense but marshawn lloyd could present a new element that notre dame has they can't just drop eight because then marshawn lloyd can beat you on the ground too with how amazing he's been so far this season and then like you said man i mean usc's defense is pretty soft in terms of the run defense like we already talked about in coverage they're solid they're a solid coverage team. They got Kalen Bullock in that secondary. Um, Damani Jackson, their corner, I like a lot. Their sophomore corner. Um, they, they're a solid enough. They're 25th in the Power Five right now in terms of coverage grade. So coverage-wise, they're solid enough. So Sam Hartman, it's not like this is a USC defense that's vulnerable everywhere, and Sam Hartman can finally get back on track. He could have trouble with that USC uh, secondary with, with all those guys they have there. And like I said, the lack of weapons that Notre Dame has too. So... It's going to come down to Audric Estime. Really, it's going to come down to Audric Estime. And then the defense from Notre Dame forcing Caleb into a few mistakes, too. Because I think that's the way Notre Dame can win this game. But like I said, I'm picking USC 34-31. I think Caleb and USC are going to put up points early. And then, like we talked about in so many of these other games that we've reviewed before, Notre Dame might have to abandon the run just to keep up with USC pretty quickly. So uh, I, I think USC is winning this game 34-31. And yeah, man, I, I got USC winning. And, you know, it should be an awesome, awesome game in South Bend. Another game between ranked teams that we got is number 25 Miami at number 12 North Carolina, which is at 7.30 p.m. 
on ABC. And Dawn, the biggest storyline is obviously how on earth does Miami respond to the most inexcusable loss in college football history? Um, on on six days notice, I'm not really sure because you know losses like that really you know there's there's regular losses where you know it's the 24 hour rule go to sleep you know stew on it and, and move on right it's not a regular loss those these are the types of losses that that they they drag with you throughout the week of practice right like you're trying especially to a team like georgia tech like if it was florida state or if it was like a really really good team right but there's games in this conference you can't lose if you want to compete and and despite look Miami, I'm gonna be honest with you. The theme, obviously, that's the headline, and yeah. it should be when you have the game won, win it, okay. But the theme is situational football, okay. Between that, they went one for four in the red zone. They had four turnovers. Van Dyke was just, I, I mean, he was trying to fit balls into every window, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. There was all there was a good chunk of this game that they lost it was i mean the fact is you shouldn't only if you're miami and you were number 17 in the country let's just say they would have taken a knee and won the game you still would have only beat georgia tech 20 to 17 right okay they did not they did not play particularly well in this game front to back which should have put more emphasis on boy let's just get out of here with a win yeah now i mean to me i i it would be hard for me to believe they didn't ruin this team's psyche with a loss because now you have to, now you go, even if they run the table and their one loss is Georgia Tech, let's just say Miami had playoff hopes. Could a, could a, would a, a loss to Georgia Tech get you into the top four as your tough. only loss if you beat North Carolina, Florida State, and maybe, I don't know, uh, Duke, whoever they play in the ACC title game, whoever, for Florida State twice. I mean, is it too much to overcome, especially when you – they lost this game situationally, I mean, sort of, and they didn't play well, especially in the red zone. They were just awful. Uh, yeah. I mean, Van Dyke, you know, down on the 18 or 20, throwing picks in the end zone when they could have just – just do just manufacture points. Like, between the 20s, he was great. And then he gets down in the red zone, and he's just trying to fire balls into windows. I know he's got a cannon, but we, we can't have this. So that, that's – that's the biggest story going into this is where Miami is at mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we get into, okay, let's overlook it for a minute and go, they should have won the game and they should be 6-0 and and this and that. Why is Miami better this year? Okay. Why is Van Dyke better this year? To me, I, this is where I was going to go before we had all this nonsense <laughs> against Georgia Tech, is Miami's pass protection last year. Was 58th, okay, in the FBS. This year, they're the eighth best pass protecting team in the country. All right. Why is that important? Because Tyler Van Dyke does not move. Yeah. Okay. He is, <laughs> he is, he, he, I've said it before. He probably reminds Miami fans a lot of Vinny Testaverde, man. Probably. He's old school. He's a statue. It's stand back there, stand still, protect me, give me all the space I need. And I got an absolute cannon and we're going, we're going 25, 25 yards down the field every play if we can, right? As a vertical passer, okay, and the arm talent, this guy is going no later than the third round, yeah. right? Uh, it's, it's a different motion. I think Van Dyke has an even better arm, but I remember um, 
like Ryan Mallett, right? Statue. Yeah. Huge arm. There's going to be a coach in the NFL that goes, oh, boy, I can work with this guy. Like, I, I don't, you know, even even something like, and I know he's playing like an MVP level guy right now, but like something in the style of like Jared Goff, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't move a ton, protect him, can make every throw on the field. Okay, that's Tyler Van Dyke. Can they protect him in this game? They haven't played an elite pass rushing team yet. Um, AM had to blitz him a lot and he beat it. You know, they protected it and he beat it. He's only been pressured. Here's the pressure in their five games this year. How many times has he been pressured? Four, eight, three, two, nine. Wow. He's he's just nobody's touching him. Nobody's touching him. And right now he's the fourth best clean pocket quarterback in the country. Okay. If you don't get to this guy. He's going to let it rip. He's going to play seven on seven. And, and I'm, he's not going to sit there and dink and dunk you and do Tom Brady's six yards to Edelman all day. He is letting it rip. Okay. Two big things for UNC in this game. One, Kamon Rucker right now is the best pass rusher in the ACC. 84 pass rushing grade. Two, I didn't realize this with North Carolina. You know, they've only given up two passing touchdowns and they were both to App State in week two. And they're giving up a 64.7 passer rating, which I think only Penn State is better. Wow. They're, they're secondary. They're, they're just – they are keeping it – they are keeping it in front. And I know they, they haven't played, like, great passing teams, but even, like, Syracuse is – you know, you've got Schrader and everything last week. They only gave up seven points, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. You've got a team right now – the fun matchup in this is, one, if Miami's pass protection is real against – uh, an admittedly very good North Carolina defensive line. And two, you've got the eighth best team in covering deep balls against the sixth best team throwing them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's where it's at for me is if you if you leave Van Dyke back there, because last week, honestly, three of his four turnover-worthy plays were in a clean pocket too. Okay, so sometimes this guy, this is a guy who believes in his arm. Man, I'm not kidding. He, he, he will th- – he will rifle balls into windows that 95% of guys won't even try, but he can only make those throws if he's protected. So the first place I'm looking is, is came on Rucker and UNC's defensive line. If the, if you can disturb Van Dyke, then he starts doing things he shouldn't have, or he starts taking sacks because he doesn't move at all. I think the difference, the difference in mobility between those two quarter, these two quarterbacks is going to be a theme here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. And yeah, like we said before, like that inexcusable loss to to Georgia Tech, where they, if you lived under a rock, Miami had the ball, three point lead, under forty seconds left. Georgia Tech had no timeouts. Most coaches, as they should, would kneel the ball, clock would expire. Instead, they ran it, fumbled it. Georgia Tech got the ball, scored game winning touchdown. Uh, now you got to rebound quickly, man. North Carolina, first time in twenty six years that North Carolina is five and zero. To start the season since 1997 was the last time before I was even born was the last time North Carolina was five and zero to start the season. My big matchup is on the other side of the ball. It really is. Can Miami slow down Drake May? Because if you slow down Drake May, game over. You look at the UNC offense right there. Ninth in passing grade, 40th in rushing grade, tied for 55th in receiving grade. They're also 55th in pass blocking grade, and they're 118th in run blocking grade. This is a lot like the conversation we have with the Penn State Nittany Lions and Drew Aller. Drew Aller playing lights out football right now for Penn State. Drake May playing lights out football for UNC. If either one of those quarterbacks is off his game, 
it's going to be a lot of trouble for that offense to have any sort of success uh, because that offense is so reliant on Drake May. And, you know, there are a few quarterbacks I'd rather have to rely on uh, than Drake May right now because right now his 92.4 grade over the last two seasons leads all quarterbacks in the country, even higher than Caleb Williams, who is .1 points off him right now. Miami, though, has a really damn good defense. Miami, second-best run defense grade in the country at 92.5, which places even more pressure on May to shoulder the load offensively. Also, Miami has the 10th best pressure rate in the country at 39.8%. And we mentioned already, North Carolina is 55th in pass blocking grade right now. Now, of course, Miami's coverage unit has been just about average so far this season. But last week, All-American safety Cameron Kitchens returned from his injury as well. Uh, So that's a big, big get for Miami in this game. So I think Miami defensively can match up pretty well with North Carolina offensively, who of course now has Tez Walker to add to that receiving course. That receiving grade might go up a a lot probably. But still, man, I think Miami's defense could uh, make this a ball game. And like I said, if if you get Drake May off his game and if he's not having a great game, North Carolina is going to really struggle offensively because they don't really have too much else that they they can rely on right now. But ultimately, Dalton, who are you rolling with uh, in this ACC game? This is this is a weird one. This might be the weirdest one because yeah. I, I would have really liked to have seen Miami go into this game undefeated, right? Uh, and not not coming off all of that and charged up even on the road and playing well. And Tyler Van Dyke has been so good, and 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 you just you throw that wet towel on it, and it's just <laughs> it's so it's so hard for me to pick Miami because I'm not going to do it. When Drake May is such a constant, like I, right. I think you just hit it right on the head, where North Carolina's football team is like solid, mm-hmm. the solid team, right? Like they they don't have quite the weapons like they did last year, Josh Downs and all that, and their defense is good. It's not Bama, it's not Michigan, it's not UCLA. We'll get to that, and and, and you know, but the plan is play solid football and let Drake be Drake. Right. right. And that's gotten him this far. Best start since best start since you've been alive. You said, right. Yeah. It's gotten him this far. Drake may the arm, the legs, the everything you, you just made. If there was ever an argument for them to clip and go, why should this guy be the number? Probably the number two overall pick. You just made the argument. That was it. He's taken a, what's probably on the whole, a B football team and made them look like, an A football team. Mm-hmm. That's what great quarterbacks do, right? Miami, they can totally play with them. The one other issue I have with Miami is kind of level of competition stuff. And I know they put it up on Texas A&M. But otherwise, you've got like Georgia Tech and Temple and 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 just soft. It's been soft since the Texas A&M game. So it's hard for me to gauge how good – like. I, they're, especially their defense. They've played some bad teams. I want to say Akron might have been in there too, or some somebody like that. It's there's been some. It's been a soft schedule outside of the A and M game, and A and M. They just they blitzed Wegman like crazy. I I think it was sixty percent of the time they blitzed him and just and just kept going and 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 A and M still put up thirty three points on him. So you know Van Dyke was just better because A and M didn't get to Van Dyke at all. I'm going to take North Carolina. 
They're at home. They're the undefeated team now with more at stake. Okay. Not that Miami doesn't have their whole season at stake because now you, you gave away your margin for error. Okay. Big time college football, playoff type, or even New Year's six type of college football. You get, you get one loss, I mean, especially for the playoff. You get one, yeah. and you gave that one away. And right. now you have to run the table against this. And six, you know, a week later, you have to go into Chapel Hill against Drake May and, and all of this. And Tez Walker, I like that you mentioned Tez Walker, too. Clearly, clearly a shot of adrenaline just having him out there. Right. right? Last week, six catches, I think, for only 43 yards, which in and of itself – you know, isn't crazy, but it's a shot of adrenaline after all this fighting they've been doing. And we've been talking about their receivers dropping balls for weeks, right? He's got terrific hands. He's 6'2 and 200. He's a, he's, it's weird. He's like 6'2, but he's got a stride, like a long stride when yeah. you watch his Kent State tape, like he's 6'5. Like he's this long stride. And like if he looked like last week, he was trying to just, he was getting his feet wet right back right. on the field, got to get in shape a little bit. The sooner he gets in like game shape and really gets it rolling, the more dangerous North Carolina is going to be. I don't know if that'll be this week, but Miami, this is a step up. This is easily the best team they've played this year. Yeah. And, and you know, look, Texas A&M is pretty good, but they game planned so properly for Texas A&M, and Van Dyke had the best game of his career. I think it's the mental aspect. I think I would still pick North Carolina to win this game, but it would be wicked, wicked tight. I, I'm I'm going to say 34, let's say 34 to 26 for North Carolina. I, I just think Drake May is such a constant, and this Miami team now, I, I mean, it's it was it wasn't supposed to be the story of college football. Yeah. It, it was supposed to, we were supposed to end Saturday talking about Texas Oklahoma. And, and those other games we previewed last week, right? And it was supposed to be, okay, how's the Big 12 shaping out? Mm-hmm. And, and, and now we've got the story of college football this past week was Miami giving away a game to Georgia Tech. Yeah. And that weighs on you. Losing a game like that weighs on you. It weighs on you all the way to probably, I would, today's Wednesday. I would, I would bet it weighs on them until about today. And then they have to like, okay, we, we got to turn around and, and, go to Chapel Hill like that's it's so hard to get back off the mat after a regular loss where you got outplayed is what it is Mm -hmm. to get off the mat from a game like that and then have to go they're not going out here getting to play Virginia Tech right they can bounce you have this is this is now your season and it, it was kind of like your season anyway but like a loss at North Carolina is your first loss there's no shame in that it's Drake May now it's like I I don't know how they recapture it um, I'm, I'm going to take North Carolina 34 to 26. And, and I just think that mental edge is, is, you know, it's going to be a huge difference. Interesting, man. I'm actually for the third time in a row. I am going to ride with the away team. I'm picking Miami in this game. I think Miami gets back on track. I, the more I, again, I was with you uh, originally when I was started previewing these games, I, was, I, I thought to myself, okay, I'm probably gonna pick North Carolina because like you said, that mental aspect is tough for me to get over. But, like I said before, North Carolina is so reliant on one guy. Now, of course, that one guy is better than most in college football right now. But, at the same time, I think Miami, like I said before, uh, with 
USC and, and like I said before with Oregon, uh, I think Miami can win in a number of ways offensively. And I think their run game has been really, really solid. Like you mentioned before, the offensive line has played really well. Van Dyke has been slinging it. The receiving core has played really well too. Xavier Estrepo, their slot receiver, is one of the highest grade receivers in the country right now. Um, and then defensively, like I said, Miami's been unreal in terms of run defense. They've been uh, great in terms of pass rushing. And North Carolina could struggle in terms of blocking. The offensive line has struggled in terms of blocking, period, mainly in run blocking. Uh, so, yeah, I think that Miami can get pressure on Drake May. They can stop that run game altogether. And then the secondary, again, it's not great, but you get Cam Kitchens back, and the North Carolina receiving core, even with Tez Walker, isn't anything to write home about, really. It's going to be all on Drake May's shoulders. I think Miami responds in a big way, and I think they win this game over North Carolina. I got 30-28. to 28. I think Miami gets them back on track, and North Carolina's undefeated season ends at the hands of the Hurricanes. So I'm excited for that game, man. We got another big contest as well in the SEC this time. Missouri at number 24, Kentucky, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on SEC Network. This is a third 7.30 kick that we have in this preview, Dalton. There's no noon kicks that we have in this preview. So it is a loaded, loaded night slate. We still have one more game at night that we're previewing as well. But ultimately, Dawn, the uh, the big storyline is which team gets back on track, man. Both of these teams started off the season 5-0. and Both of them suffered their first loss this past weekend. Missouri was on the losing end of a 49-39 to shootout with LSU. Kentucky's loss, not nearly as close. They got blown out of the water by Georgia, 51-13. to The winner of this game, gets the season back on track, and has an argument with Tennessee as the second-best team in the SEC East. The loser of this game has basically all of the hype from their 5-0 start evaporated uh, with two straight losses. So ultimately, Don, what are you looking forward to most uh, in this SEC East clash? Let me, let me just point out that it's just awful that Missouri is not ranked and Kentucky still is. I agree. That's uh, that's horrific. I'm just I, I just noticed that on the screen now, and I I I didn't notice that on the back end of the rankings. That's awful. Yeah. That's I I don't Missouri still how, too. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care that it's Georgia. They went in there and got blasted. I, I'm I'm just gonna read because I know Missouri's been like our favorite team on this show. We've been we've been all over Brady Cook and Luther Burden and Kirby Morna. I don't if, if it's us, are we talking about them too much or what? Because that look, the score says they lost by 10. They lost that game by three. Yeah. Let's just be real about it. Yep. They did. They lost a game by three. Brady Cook picked six into the game. Cool. Okay. The, the Kentucky they this is another soft competition one okay they before they beat florida okay this this every to me the opinions on kentucky are tilted by ray davis doing what he did against florida their defense got just uh, we i mean we think of mark stoops and kentucky's defense they just got absolutely blasted last week and, and there was no evidence we didn't have really any evidence that carson beck was going to go in there and just start lighting them up you know, Kentucky's defense, we were figuring, okay, Georgia's going to win the game, but it's still going to be kind of rock fight-ish, right? I don't know. If Kentucky's defense on the back end is going to look like that, they're going to have problems with Missouri because let's let's be real. Outside of two throw, really for the first 58 minutes, okay, of the Missouri-LSU game, all right, Brady Cook went toe-to-toe with Jaden Daniels. He did. And Jaden Daniels is playing as well as any quarterback in the country right now. 
put throw him in the Heisman race too. Okay, for 58 minutes before the strip sack and the pick six, you you, you look at that game and you go, wow, these are two even quarterbacks and these are two nasty nasty offenses. Missouri did not lose because they were like so much worse than LSU. Look, no. the 10 point score tilts it big time. Okay, they really lost by three in a game. Look, Daniels and Neighbors and Thomas are just a buzzsaw. Yeah. Man. Okay, and Missouri's defense is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And even they just can't. Right now, those three guys, I mean, I, I don't know how many teams even have a chance to cover LSU right now, plus Daniel's feet. So I'm giving their defense. Their defense is getting a pass. You give up 42 to LSU. LSU, other than the first game, they're putting up 42 on everybody right now. Jaden Daniels on a crazy level throwing the ball down the field. Now, Kentucky has two problems. Defending the deep ball. Yep. Well, they have three problems, but two of them on defense. Defending the deep ball, okay, The last over the last three weeks, 41.8 grade on deep balls, okay, in coverage. Not good. And they're the sixth worst team in the Power Five covering screens. They get beaten in the screen game a lot. They play, they sit back, they play a lot of zone coverage, a lot of deep cover three, cover four. They don't man-to-man, they don't press. They sit back in relatively basic zone coverages, and if you want yards after the catch, that's where the Georgia, that's where this train started for Georgia last week. You look early in the game, flats, flats and screens, and just keep, take the eight to nine yards they give you. And the second those linebackers move up, boom, Carson Beck right over the top of them. That simple. It, it, they don't defend the screen game well at all, in part because honestly, it kind of looks like they don't try to. They're like content to just, here you go, eight yards is fine. We'll just <laughs> hold you to a field goal. It's this bend but don't break thing. And the problem is if you bend enough, against a team, especially like Georgia or even a team like Missouri's offense, you're going to snap. Let me get back to those two numbers on Missouri. Third best deep ball team in the country right now. Mm -hmm. All right. Second best receiving grade on screens. We've mentioned Luther Burden. (laughs) Yep. And they've got other guys like Johnson can get downfield and Weiss can do some things. Burden is the perfect example, of course, of they can beat you at all levels. Screens and jet sweeps and things like that, nasty. Intermediate, I believe he's still the best intermediate receiver in the country. You want to get behind those linebackers on a deep over like Georgia did on their first touchdown last week, Burden can get it. And then over the top, the speed's crazy. Yeah, Missouri, Missouri does the things offensively that are going to bother Kentucky. So those are the two on defense. And then there's one on offense. And I, I'm I'm just going to be straight up with this. They can't – Kentucky can't throw the ball. Yeah. They can't, yeah. Ray Davis, look, Ray Davis had the 280 against Florida. He had 100-plus, I think, against it was Ball State. And his four other games, he's under 80 yards. So if Ray Davis isn't superhuman, 8, 10 yards a carry, they are dysfunctional throwing the football. I'm, I'm going to throw a scary stat at you, okay? So over the last three weeks, right, so now Kentucky's been playing, what is it, Vandy, Georgia, and Florida, for their SEC games, right? Brady Cook over the last three weeks, passing grade is a 90.2, third or fourth best in the country. Devin Leary's is 64.1. And I have a worse one, okay? He's only completing 45.9% of his passes. Wow. Right? And <laughs> even worse than that, if I take out if I take out screens, where he's obviously 12 to 13 on screen passes, the last three weeks on non-screen passes, he's 23 for 62, <laughs> which is 30, 37%. <laughs> Jeez. He is. If you take out the screen game, because every college team throws screens into different effect, and this that's about your athletes and other stuff. 
If you look at Devin Leary over the last three weeks, even though they're two and one in those three, I'm not. Sh- I, they don't have. They must not have any other options. I, I, I'm thirty. He's completing thirty-seven percent of his real passes right now, dude. And that's you. They. I mean, they're actually just not functional in the past. They're not even functional. Like we talk about, like. Caleb Williams struggling and he's gunslinging and doing the little grades of lower. Sam Hartman, let's take Sam Hartman for Notre Dame. He's at least functional. Yeah. Right? Like 60 something grades and it's conservative, but their receivers aren't great and he's gritting it, right? They're mm-hmm. trying to grit it and it's like, ah, it's only so far you can. This isn't even functional, their passing game. But, I mean, their offense really is just, and they don't, they're, they're not the best run blocking team by no, any means. No, they're not. No. Their offense really is just. Well, let's just see if Ray Davis can can break a million tackles. Like, it, it, honestly, other than Ray Davis against Florida, what do we have in Kentucky's offense? Yeah, because he's only got he's only got one other hundred yard day. They have four non offensive touchdowns this year, and before Florida, the other teams they had played are just horrible. I, I Ball State, I told you against Eastern, it took them almost an entire first half to score on Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> I, I I graded their offense in that game. Yep. And for three quarters of it, I was like, wow, I'm worried about Kentucky. Mm-hmm. What is going on here? Like, this is just not it's their passing game is dysfunctional. And Missouri's passing game, let's just say it for what it is. We've seen enough. I know LSU can't cover, but we've seen it for six weeks. Missouri's passing game is elite. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how in the world Kentucky, on top of Kentucky's defense, they have, they have the seventh most missed tackles in the Power Five. So, like, I'm you 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 can already see where I'm going with this. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Kentucky's defense is going to have to turn around real quick against another big time offense. Look, I'm I'm we've said it enough times. I'll just say it again. Missouri's offense is big time, mm-hmm. big big time. It's egregious that they're not ranked. Yep, and they did not. But Brady Cook, the last two minutes fell apart for fifty eight minutes. Brady Cook against LSU was spectacular, mm-hmm. and Jaden Daniel Jaden Daniels was just a tiny tiny bit better. That this Missouri's team, this Missouri team is here to stay, and, and I think that includes this week. To be honest with you, yeah. Absolutely. I still have Missouri in my top 25, like I said, man. And, yeah, you, you broke it down really well. I mean, this is really the matchup is two teams with drastically different offensive identities face vulnerable defenses. Uh, like you mentioned, Brady Cook is 16th right now in the country with an 87.7 grade. Luther Burden third. I mean, we have talked about this guy, I think, since we started doing a show together, man. He has been unbelievable, the best receiver in college football. Leads them in receiving grade. Also uh, leads them in, t- t- in terms of receiving yards. Missouri, 12th in the country in terms of pressure rate allowed. So not only do you have this electric group of receivers and Brady Cook playing the best football he's played in his life so far, you have an offensive line that is giving him time back there. Javon Foster has been one of the best offensive tackles in college football. Connor Tolleson has been one of the best centers in college football. This offensive line overall is doing really, really well. Kentucky, 71st in the country in pass rushing grade and 50th in coverage grade so far this season. Now, Deion Walker, their uh, interior defensive lineman, has played really well. But other than that, man, they can't get any sort of pressure on the quarterback. And like you mentioned, the, the coverage unit, not great either. Now, 
The one saving grace maybe for Kentucky in this game is you mentioned before, Ray Davis. He has the fifth most yards after contact in the Power Five, uh, the third highest rushing grade in the Power Five. Missouri just gave up 291 rushing yards to LSU on nearly seven yards per attempt as well. And LSU, like we mentioned, is more of a pass-heavy team than a run-heavy team, and yet they still ran for nearly 300 yards on seven yards per carry against Missouri. So that Missouri run defense is not as stout um, as we might think, and Ray Davis, man, could have a big game. And that's, I think, the only way Kentucky can win this game is if Ray Davis is superhuman. We mentioned this last week against Georgia, where it's like, yeah, your offense is Ray Davis, man. If he's not going, you're screwed. So ultimately, Dalton, who's coming out on top in this uh, SEC East game? So a couple things. I'm not as down on Missouri's defense um, because right. that that's uh, that's more LSU is just a buzzsaw, man. Mm. And so much of that comes from Daniels. Um, there there are very very few players in college football right now harder to defend than Jaden Daniels. I, I, that's a game where I I can give him a pass on yeah. that. You when you play LSU makes more it makes it all the more impressive what Florida State do, did to him back in week one. I think they only give up three points in the second half, right? That's just what Jaden Daniels has going right now is going to put him in some serious conversations, both in the Heisman race and in the draft. Yeah, honestly, uh, he he's obviously not as big, but he kind of has his very Jalen Hurts feel to me. Yeah, he, I like that. He doesn't he doesn't give it away. He right now he's taking his shots, which there were times when. Jalen Hurts wouldn't take his shots down the field, but also this receiving core is nuts. It's just, it's very, it feels very, I'm just, I'm going on a rant now. It feels very Jalen Hurts to me where you go, boy, we forgot how good this guy is. And if he's, that feels like a similar thing where Hurts went in the second round. And if you do some right things with it, Jaden Daniels is going to be the fun name to watch come draft time. Cause I know a lot of other guys have been getting run. Missouri's defense gets a pass from me though. That dude, that dude's elite, and he's playing. He's raging hot right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to bust Missouri's defense for that. Okay, and it's a uh, polar opposite what's going on in Kentucky. Okay. Second thing, I, I realized it this morning. You know, Missouri's the best run blocking team in college football right now. Yeah. I'm gonna. You mentioned Javon Foster. He's been doing this to some extent for like three years now. Mm-hmm. Get this man in first round conversations. This is this dude's an elite left tackle. I know we have Alt and Fashanu, but he might be third behind yeah. them and not a distant third. I, I'm I'm serious. Watch this guy's tape. He does everything. And this year, I, I, you talk about. I think I think two years ago he's great in pass protection. Had to work in the run game. Last year was like better in both. He was like a top mm, fifteen somewhere in there, fifteen or twenty. This dude's elite, man. I, Get get this guy in first round conversations, Javon Foster. But oh, no, the difference in the, the difference in this game to me, I've got one team r- really that I I believe is borderline elite offensively, and I've got another that outside of one guy is is dysfunctional. You mentioned the rushing yards; a lot of that's Jaden Daniels. Devin Leary doesn't move. Yeah, so he both doesn't move, and he's completing thirty seven percent of his passes. I I can't pick that guy over an offense like this. I can and Missouri's I'm I, I'm I'm telling you, Missouri's defense is still like pretty good. It's mm-hmm. at least like a B defense. It's not Bama or one of these. It's pretty good. I I think they're going to get the job done. I I actually I'm not sure this game is all that close. The more I think about it, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say 34, 
to 20. I'll give Kentucky 20, and I'm not even sure how they'll get there. I'll go 34 to 20 Missouri. Because I just Unless they are drastically better in the secondary, especially after last week. But they gave up 28 points to Vanderbilt, too. Mm-hmm. As, unless they're drastically better in the secondary, because Kirby Moore still has this thing rolling. They should feel no – offensively, Missouri should feel no less confident than they did before last week. They put up 39 points on LSU. They got the job done. Yep. All right. Kentucky, this, I don't, I, I don't know why they're ranked. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Beating Florida, I mean, Florida plays up and down to everybody, and their front seven just handed them yards. They were all over the place mentally. Uh, give me Missouri 34 to 20. I, I think you're going to see just, this is too stark a difference offensively for me to go the other way on this. That's fair. And first of all, I want to touch on a couple things real quick that you said because it really made my brain start jogging a little bit. But uh, the one thing is, you know, the rushing yards, like I said, like you said, Jane Daniels had 130 rushing yards in that game. Devin Leary is not that type of mover. And also, that's also because a lot of the times Missouri is dropping a ton of guys into coverage to try to even, you know, deal with the two receivers and Jane Daniels. And then all of a sudden you you have to. Well, how else would you play yeah. LSU other than what right now? I would you almost have to let them run the ball. Yeah. Honestly, I agree. The other thing I wanted to touch on, because I think you just unlocked one of the best comps that I've heard so far in this whole draft process is, and I know it's lofty considering how good this guy is in the NFL right now, but I love the Jaden Daniels, Jalen Hurts comparison. And I know this is a tangent. We're not even talking about LSU in this, in this preview, but I wanted to go off on a little bit because you look at that man, Jaden Daniels, when he started off his career at Arizona state was a, let's face it, terrible passer terrible passer Jalen Hurts when he started off at Alabama he could only run the football too so he was not a guy that could that could throw the football then you know at they continued to progress Jane Daniels at Arizona State was not a very good passer Hurts at Alabama never really a good passer transfers to Oklahoma is an elite passer all of a sudden Jane Daniels transfers to LSU all of a sudden last year still a great runner progressing as a passer, got a lot better as a passer this year. He's one of the best pocket passers in college football. You look at Jalen Hurst now, he's one of the best passers in the NFL right now. So I love that comparison, man, where they both were there's, bad there's passers. A big, there's a big common denominator between the two of them, and this is going to come up. This is going to come up, Trevor, and whoever else is going to bring this up come draft time. They are two of the elite since we've had PFF College since 2014 or 15. I believe Jaden Daniels – I think has the best turnover worthy play percentage that we have charted yep. since we started doing this. And I, I, it might be Jalen Hurts's record that he broke. It might, it's close. And- Jalen Hurts is somewhere in that top five. These two guys, when you don't give the football away at this level, you're really good. Like you, you more. So last year we were waiting on, I think Daniels only made like 12 or 13 big time throws. You can wait on yes. that. Because he doesn't lose you ball games. I, I'm telling you, he's not as thick. It's a little different style. Daniels is a little more wiry and quick, whereas Hertz has just got the 700 pound squat that's going to run you over, right? Even now with quarterback sneak every other play. But this this turnover worthy play thing and how low Daniels' number is and breaking the record like that that's that's going to be massive. When you see when you get an NFL coach that gets Daniels. And they go, well, this guy is smart with the football. How do we make him lethal? Well, right now he looks lethal. Yeah, I'm not. Again, I give Missouri's a pass, but their defense a pass because I I don't write the way they're playing now. Week one, when it was Florida State, I had an answer. 
it was sit back and make Daniels throw from the pocket in mm-hmm. Florida State. Now, oh, no. If they play Florida State now, I don't know who would win. Yeah. That's a good point, and yeah, it's a great point you made too, man. It's because, yeah, I mean, last year he got a lot better as a passer but just not putting the ball in harm's way. But like you said, he did not that, – that his average at the target was one of the lowest in the country. This year, all they're doing is taking deep shots, and he's hitting on almost all of them right now. So, yeah, I know we went off on a tangent there, but when you said Jalen Hurts, it just made my 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 brain start jogging, like I said, and, and I love that cop, man. Now, I don't think Jalen, that Jalen Daniels uh, – or Jalen Hurts, excuse me, will take the hits – as Jaden Daniels does, where it seems like every week Jaden Daniels is getting lit up because of the way he runs yeah. the football. And like I said, Jalen Hurts is, is too big and too strong to be lit up like that. But I still love the comp, man, for just how they progress. And every year of their careers, they've gotten better. And even Jalen Hurts from Alabama to now, every single season, he's gotten better as a quarterback. Jaden Daniels is the same way, man. So I love, love, love that comp. Uh, but I got Missouri just going <laughs> That tangent was long, but just I love that comp that you made, man. But I got Missouri as well in this one. 30 to 24. I think Missouri's offense is just too explosive for Kentucky in this game. I just don't see, other than Ray Davis having 250, I don't see how Kentucky's offense is going to be able to keep up in this game, especially when Kentucky's defense is struggling the way it is. But uh, the last one that we're going with uh, is the Pac 12 at night. It's not a 10 30 game, it's still an 8 o'clock game, but it's number 18 UCLA at number 15 Oregon State. And what I find most interesting about this game, Dalton, these two teams are kind of like the inverse. Of each other because you look at uh, they're both five and one right now. Oregon State five and one. Their best win of the season was over Utah. Then they also lost to Washington State. You look at UCLA also five and one. Their best win of the season was to Washington State, and their only loss was to Utah. So UCLA beat Washington State and lost to Utah. Oregon State beat Utah and lost to Washington State. So it's pretty interesting how these two are the kind of the inverse of each other. And I think the winner of this game will establish itself as one of the next level of contenders with probably Utah after the big three, of course, of Oregon, Washington, and USC. The loser of this game has their second conference loss of the season, and that all those lofty dreams of a Pac-12 title game, they're all but gone now after losing two conference games already so far in the season. So ultimately, Dalton, there, I think there is one clear matchup that I cannot freaking wait to watch in this game. I think is the best matchup, honestly, of the weekend. Is it the matchup that you're going to go with as well? You already know. It's, it's trench <laughs> warfare, man. Yeah. It's You've got the Oregon State with the highest graded offensive line in the country against UCLA with, yep. as a unit, the sixth highest graded defensive line in the country. And Leatu Latu is the best defensive player in the country right now. Look, he was an absolute nightmare last week against Washington State. Ten pressures, a, a, a sack, I believe a forced fumble. That unit was the difference in their game. They pressured Cam Ward on 51% of his dropbacks. <laughs> it, it's just they their defensive line look their defense was not like when they lost to utah was not horrible they gave up 21 and they got slow grinded to death because they uh, the the picks i'm sorry no i'm I'm mixing it up they only their defense only gave up seven points to utah i'm thinking about oregon state or something else they gave up seven points to utah in that game dante moore threw the pick six the first play of the game you just can't get behind the eight ball against Utah. Don't right? Don't don't go down seven nothing on the first play of the game at Utah. Yeah, that's a rule. That's our number one rule. I, I want to put it on a board behind you. But you know, they this is this is fun because you've got a team. Clearly, I think the best defense in the Pac-12, yeah. UCLA. Right? Agreed. They right now they are the best pass rushing team in the country. 
is second behind Bama in coverage, and they're 11th in run defense. There is not a hole on this defense. They lost a game where they gave up seven points, which it's disturbing. So right now, maybe sometimes the theory is the answer to some of these defensive lines. You're seeing it with, like, let's say, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, That'll upset some people. But sometimes with defensive lines like this, running right at them is the answer. Mm -hmm. Just let's go. Let's go. You you want to you want to be the bigger man? Let's go. And there's no team that exemplifies that more than Oregon State. We're going to run off tackle with Martinez and Fenwick until the wheels fall off, right? The difference maybe we've seen we've talked before in past weeks about the inconsistent play of DJ Uyagalele. So when they beat Utah, Utah's idea was Let's let's line up and press man across the board. Let's just make everything flat. And let's see if he can throw over the top. Let's do it. And he made a mm, three or four throws on like go balls and deeper balls, right? Cuz if you're going to go press man, all right, cover one. Let's let's go. You want to do it. And honestly, for a quarterback, that makes you more comfortable. These a, a go ball, people don't people think it's hard. They got to throw it far. To be honest, a go ball for a quarterback, especially a struggling one, is one of the easier balls you can give them. Mm-hmm. because it's just, well, let me just lay it out there. There's there's not a read to make. Let me just pick the, pick my favorite guy and lay it out, right? What you want to do is make him make reads. Maybe you do want to. It's, it's kind of the inverse thing of like, so then last week, right, they put up 52 points on Cal. He had the best game of his career, all right? Uh, 90-something, 90 93.8 passing grade. And they tried to blitz him. And against a blitz, 8 for 11, 116, three touchdowns, three big-time throws. All right? They tried to blitz him. There's, like, all sorts of, for some reason, different ideas of how to play against Uyagalele. I think the biggest thing is, obviously, that's why it's the biggest matchup. What can UCLA do to put them behind the sticks? Right? If you make him, to a greater extent than, say, Bo Nix, make him just drop back and go non-play action. You don't want to do that. Yeah. It, 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 most weeks, he's scattershot. If he turned a corner against Cal, cool, but it's still Cal. Cal and UCLA's defense are two completely different animals. But as usual, Oregon State, they have a way of doing things. We're going to run off tackle. We're going to go play action. What I do like that I saw in this Cal game is, and I don't think we saw this in the early weeks, is they've kind of taken a lot of the reads out of it. Now, I'm not a big fan of the fact that he just – for as big and good an athlete as he is, he doesn't run the ball like at all. Yeah. I, I just don't I don't really get it. I would involve that more, but okay, you want him to sit in the pocket and do things cool. What I do like is that, you know, in the win against Utah and this game against Cal, one read. You get one read, dude. And and this you get, you know, there's a lot of max protection. There's a lot of like only like two and three man concepts instead of sending all five out there. Like when he has to make full field reads and like see a whole defense, it, it, everything starts to break down. And then even when he makes the right throw, he starts to miss it. They're, they've simplified it at least the last couple of weeks to where they look better. Okay. And I don't know that he's fully turned a corner because that's Cal. And then they still went and gave up 40 points to Cal. So there's an element here where Oregon State's defense does have to be better because 38 to Wazoo and 40 to Cal starts to make you concerned a little. Utah can't score. So you give up seven to Utah they can't on a Friday night. They can't score. This is going to be about Oregon State 
and their run game, as it always is, we could do every Oregon State game every week, and we're going to say this. It's about the running game being ahead of the chains, yep. especially against this team. If you let UCLA pin their ears back, good luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck, man. If you're in third and eight, I just I, honestly, right now, the way their pass rushes, if you're third and eight, you, you could almost punt on third and eight. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Seriously. I, I right. mean, but it's a, it's a great matchup of strength on strength. And two teams with shaky-ish quarterbacks for different reasons, right? Uyagalele's whole career has been like this. And Dante Moore, same thing. Play action, deep shots, three big-time throws last week, but still a grade in the 50s because it's, it's all over the place. Yeah, he's a true so freshman. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Both of these teams have a certain way of doing things. And the fact that we get to see – this is this is a low-key, really fun matchup in the trenches. Oh, my God, yeah. Dude, this is the heavyweight title fight in the trenches, honestly. Like we mentioned before, Oregon State right now is the highest-graded offensive line in the Power 5 this season. Uh, Also, third in the country in run-blocking grade, ninth in the Power 5 with a 14.1% pressure rate allowed. The star of that unit is their right tackle, Talisa Fuaga, who I know for a fact Trevor Sykema is all over right now. This is a guy who came out of nowhere for him. I had him as a top 10 tackle entering the season, and he's proving why right now, man. His 90.1 run blocking grade, three and a half points higher than the next closest FBS tackle this season. He's the second highest graded tackle in the country after only Joe Alt this season. He'll often, hopefully, be lined up against Latu Latu, and if not, it'll be the Murphy Twins. Um, Latu, the highest grade defensive player in the country, third or fourth best uh, pressure rate in the country for edge defenders as well. And also, UCLA's, you know, in terms of the run defense, because you mentioned how good of a pass rushing unit they are, and they lead the Power Five with an 89.8 pass rushing grade. In run defense, UCLA leads the country with a 2.77 yard average depth of tackle in the run game. So they have done a really good job of stopping the run this season. And like we said, this is the matchup to watch, man. I think it is the best matchup to watch all weekend because it is the strength of Oregon State is that offensive line and the strength of UCLA is that defensive line, man. And each of those are among the best in the country at what they do. And there's an argument to be made that UCLA might have a top three defensive line in the country. Oregon State has a top three offensive line in the country. So it is going to be a war, absolute war in the trenches that I cannot wait to watch. But ultimately, Dolan, who do you have coming out on top in this Pac-12 game? I'll tell you, you mentioned the Murphys. Gabriel Murphy had eight pressures himself last He's good. Week. Him and Latu combining for 18 pressures pretty much was the ball game, yeah. right? Um, the other thing I want to mention about Fawaga, I, I, we need to start this campaign. Look, man, right tackles and left tackles, equal rights, man. I'm over this thing where people think left tackles are more important than right tackles. No. It, it, no, yeah, no, it, no, it's, it, you know, fun fact, because I do the rookies piece every week, check it out every Tuesday morning. Do you know who the highest graded rookie tackle is in, in the NFL this year is right now? It's not Skaronsky anymore, right? He's a guard. He's playing guard. He's playing guard for Tennessee. I did not know that. Okay. Who is the highest? He's graded playing, tackle? He's, it's Darnell Wright. Wow. The one right tackle taken in the first round. Huh? I, I'm 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 just gonna I'm, I'm gonna go on 15 seconds about this. Tristan, I, I'm, I'm over this thing where right tackles are more valuable than left tackles. Listen, Ryan Ramchick, great player. Lane Johnson should go to the Hall of Fame if yep. he's. I don't know if I don't know if there's a primary right tackle in the Hall of Fame, and if there's not, Lane Johnson should be the first one. 
I'm, I'm, he's just as valuable as anybody in football. Tristan Wirfs, when he was on the right side for three years, was arguably the best right tackle in football. Now he's on the left side, and it's exactly the same. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get that switching sides technique-wise is a thing, but there's no reason that if you have an elite right tackle, let's say like Fawaga, okay, and he's that good. Yep. Why is, it, why is he not a first-round pick? They say right tackle like it's an insult. I'm over this. Mm-hmm. It's if you if it's if you have a guy who's a great right tackle, cool. Yep. Like the like the Bears. The Bears needed a right tackle. They have Braxton Jones. They needed a right tackle. They took Darnell Wright. There's arguments about taking him over Jalen Carter. I get it. But as an offensive lineman, Darnell Wright was the guy they needed. So first of all, somebody. I need people on the boat. Equal rights for right tackles. I now, agree. I'm with you. Back back to the game. Sorry. I, I think there's there's a lot of weird variables in this game, especially the two quarterbacks, right? If Uyagole is as good as last week, they can beat a lot of people. They played Cal last week, and Cal, their defense just ain't there. Uh, it's just not, right? Right game plan, you know, spectacular. If you're only going to have 25 dropbacks, that's as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. What Uyagole did last five touchdowns, four or five big-time throws. Best game of his career, okay? Can he, can he do that again? This is not the team you want to do that again against. I also trust – obviously, I trust UCLA's defense. I don't as much trust Oregon State's defense. Okay, They're going to have to get to Dante more when it comes time for more to make throws. And he can make big throws. The accuracy isn't there on the whole, and a lot of it's heavy play action. Right, We've talked about Chip Kelly. Run it till you can't. Play action. Dante Moore, deep shot. For Both of these teams actually – they go about it schematically a little different. Obviously, Chip Kelly in the gun, tempo, all that stuff. Oregon State, tight ends, big linemen, under center. But they really have the same goals, despite going about it slightly different ways. UCLA's defense, I think, to me, is the difference. Oregon State, I think, just has an okay defense, right? Yeah, but, I I, but again, I've seen them. They had the Utah game, but Utah can't score. It, against Washington State, was 38 points and again in the explosive plays and against Cal gave up 40 who Cal is you know one of the few teams in this conference who's not considered like big time right I I think UCLA has a few more holes to poke this is look if Oregon State's going to win this game yeah it's going to be their offensive line just being better yeah um but I think if you have an even matchup and UCLA does not get exposed on the back end like that either not near as often, if if at all. No. I mean, you know, Utah Utah didn't expose them deep. I'm just trying to think if I can of the tape I've seen if I've seen any deep shots on them. I really haven't. So UCLA doesn't give up big plays. Oregon State kind of does. And Dante Moore, if you give him an opportunity, if you if somebody has a step way down the field, he can get it there. Yeah. He's, we've talked about it. He's one of the best deep throwers in the country. Everything underneath is the question mark. Uyagole was great last week. He's never really been great two weeks in a row. I'm not I'm not going to trust it against this defense. This is going to be a fist fight. This is going to be a fun game. Give me UCLA 24 to 20. Ooh, I got UCLA 28-27. So just to uh, recap, I am picking all five road teams 
And all five of them are underdogs, too. So if you're betting man, you might want to take the money line. At least that's what I'm doing this weekend. And also, this is a game that we're not even previewing. Uh, Texas A&M-Tennessee is probably the next biggest game of the weekend. I'm picking Texas A&M, the road team in that one, too, is also the underdog. I don't know why I'm going against Vegas so much this week. But when I turn on the tape, man, I'm looking at the matchups in this game. I like the road team in every one of these, and I agree with you. I, I got UCLA winning this one 28-27. It's going to be a war at the line of scrimmage. I think UCLA just barely comes out on top in that war. But like I said, man, it's going to be an awesome week of college football. I'm taking every single underdog, every single road team in this game, which I know you did. I think you did that a couple weeks ago, right? And it did not work out very uh, well for you. Yeah, that week. Yeah, that was that included the week that I picked Kansas and Jalen right. Daniels was scratched 15 minutes <laughs> it before was, the game. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was that week. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's I'm doing it this week, and hopefully it goes a little bit better for me this week, man. But that's what we got for our week seven preview. No, it was a long episode. So big shout out to Eli, producer Eli back there, uh, for everything he does for the show and mainly for the Byron Floyd graphic, which I, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, Dalton, but I posted on Twitter and Floyd's family, his high school coach, Floyd himself was all interactive. They they loved it that we that we put out a graphic of Byron Floyd, man. But uh we have another huge episode coming on Monday. Dalton and I giving out our midseason award for college football Heisman Blitnikoff coach of the year Broyles award the Ray Guy award for punter of the year we're giving out everything next week uh, so we're very very excited about that so make sure you tune in for that but very awesome weekend of college football that we got and uh, yeah that's what we got for our week 7 preview so for the GOAT producer back there Eli for Dalton Wasserman I'm Max Chadwick and uh, have a great Saturday of college football and we'll see you guys on Monday